The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Boy, did I love the movie Unbroken. Hi there, it's Doc Thompson. There's a new movie in theaters September 14th called Unbroken Path to Redemption. It's the rest of the true story of Louis Zamperini, an Olympic runner and later prisoner of war hero in World War II. It's his life after war. It compassionately shows how he worked through his demons and his anger, and more importantly, found peace with God. Unbroken Path to Redemption is especially timely and is in theaters September 14th. Check out unbrokenfilm.com, unbrokenfilm.com. On Valentine's Day of this year, Polly Olson was handing out religiously themed Valentines with messages that say things like, Jesus loves you. And we know how disturbing that is. Oh, we, and Nobody wants to find out somebody loves them, and certainly uh, not that Jesus that guy. That Jesus guy. Well, I'm, I'm not gay. Is he that stalker that, yes. that plays hacky sack in the alley oh, behind the 7-Eleven? No, no, that one. No, no. He's the stalker that, oh, kids remind you about love. Because I don't caring. want to hear about that guy loving me. Certainly no. not as a valentine. Mm-hmm. Please. No, no. So the campus uh, uh, at the University of, uh, this is uh, Northeast Wisconsin Technical College, the NWTC, very troubled by this. So... They tagged her for suspicious activity and boop, kicked boop. her off of campus. Now we uh, enter Rick Eisenberg, president of WillLaw.org. Hey, Rick, how are you? Uh, good morning. How are you? Doing well. So tell us about Polly Olson. Uh, she, was, she, was she doing something truly nefarious and troubling? Well, you know, it's just the way you described it. Uh, every Valentine's Day, in honor of her mother, who passed away, she hands out these little homemade Valentines, and they say offensive things like, Jesus loves you, you are cared for, that type of wow. thing. And she does it because she understands that, you know, some people will never get a message like that on Valentine's Day. So she's passing these out in a, in, in a, on campus there at, at WTC, and a call goes out, uh, the white female is engaged in suspicious activity. Uh, wow. The security forces descend on her. Uh, they apprehend her, and they tell her that she has to knock it off. Uh, they tell her that people could be offended by that. They they say that she's violating the school's anti-solicitation policy. And here's the important part from okay. a legal perspective. She's speaking outside of the public assembly area, which I call the free speech zone. Like NWTC, like a lot of campuses, has a zone where people can speak. And if you try to speak, if you try to communicate ideas outside of the zone without permission, uh, then you're violating the school rules. And, uh, you know, we told them that was unconstitutional. Uh, They hunkered down and lawyered up, and so now we're in court. Okay, so there's so many little pieces of this. First of all, does this school get public um, funds at all? It's a public. It's a public university. It's a, okay. it's a public uh, technical college. Okay. Yeah, because technical college. I didn't know if it was just you know for profit, profit or whatever. If they get public funds, well then, Rick, sorry guys, um, all of those rules and and rights apply. You know, free speech. I'm sorry. Now, if it's a private and private property and whatever, you may be in a different situation. Beyond that, I would say we need to get a handle on this, Rick, and, and, and finally start holding these public universities. If they get my tax dollars, sorry, it's got to apply to everybody's rights. Everyone's rights has First to be accounted. NWTC is a government. First Amendment applies to the government, and that means that if you're a college or you're a public university, you can't put free speech in the box. But you see this happening across the country where you know, college administrators have decided that being safe and I put those words in quotes, means that you shouldn't be exposed to opinions that uh, you don't want to hear or that you don't like or that make you uncomfortable. 
And the First Amendment does not permit that. Uh, and, and in any event, it's a bad way to run a college because it produces young adults who are unable to cope with the world because, you know, the world uh, has this way of uh, exposing you to things that make you uncomfortable and that you don't like. And college is a good time to start getting used to that. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, the first, obviously, like we said, is the constitutionality of this. And again, if it's public, then no, it shouldn't be. The second then, yeah, is the um, the philosophies that allow something like this to flourish on college campuses, this idea of safe spaces and all this. And Rick, you're right. The world is not safe. It is not. And certainly how are ideas and opinions dangerous as long as you are able to research and have your own opinions as well. Right. We used to think that college was a time where we would go off and, and, and we would be exposed to stuff we hadn't heard before and we would try to figure out what we think about it. Uh, uh, but, uh, you know, if you, uh, uh, if, you, uh, uh, if you put somebody in a cocoon uh, when they're a young adult and when they're learning how to cope with the world, um, they're going to have a, a, a lot more trouble uh, when uh, they get outside there and uh, nobody is uh, willing to respect their safe spaces. So it's a bad policy from the perspective of what makes a good university. And, and then again, as you said, uh, so importantly, it's simply inconsistent with the First Amendment when we had a public university involved as we have here. Let's touch for a moment on public universities and the free speech zones that they have, either stated free speech zones or just the idea of them that they would have. And they say, um, well, we allow some of this over here, but not over here. Rick, what are the boundaries of free speech on a, again, publicly funded college campus? Obviously, there have to be some rules that keep people and their free speech from disrupting classes or bothering people if they're trying to sleep in their dorm room or something like that. Oh, sure. You, 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 a, a university can have reasonable rules. You know, you can't, um, you know, run into a physics lecture and, you know, start, uh, you know, screaming about uh, uh, President Trump. Uh, you can't, uh, you shouldn't be able to disrupt other speakers on campus. You should uh, be able to, uh, uh, you know, bring a loudspeaker into the library and blare loud music when people are trying to study. But that's not what was going on here, right? She was in an area where it wasn't a classroom. She wasn't disrupting people studying. She was, you know, it was simply an area where students congregate. They go back and forth. They speak to each other. It was sort of a public area. Uh, but what the university here has decided is that it should inoculate uh, the campus from free speech. They should put free speech in a box. So they have this small uh, public assembly area, which is, uh, uh, you know, less than uh, a half an acre, maybe a lot less than a half an acre on a campus of over 100 acres. That's the only place that you can engage in speech activities. And you can't even do that unless you go to the university and get permission first. And, uh, you know, they can deny you permission for any reason that they want. And so, it, yeah, yeah, you can have reasonable rules in order to uh, allow classes to proceed and studying to happen, but this is the opposite of that. This is, this is putting free speech in a little box on campus, and, and that is unconstitutional. I would imagine the boundaries of that free speech are like so many things when we talk about our personal freedoms and constitutionally pr- protected freedoms, and that is my right to speechify and, you know, profess whatever I want in that public arena ends or is limited only by um, 
infringing your rights. So if you are in a private locale, private property, um, or something I'm saying is, is physically accosting you or I'm doing something, those are the boundaries because I would then be infringing somebody else's rights. Right. So an easy way to think about this is that the government should never be able to um, restrict speech based solely on the content of ah. what somebody is saying. So uh, the government has the right to restrict what is called fighting words. So if I come up to you, I get two inches away from your face, and I call you a horrible, awful name, so that um, any reasonable person would think that the next thing that's going to happen is not that you refute me, uh, but you slug me. Uh, that can be disorderly conduct, right? So, so, uh, but that's a very, very narrow and mm-hmm. limited uh, uh, class of speech that can be restricted. The other way is if 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 you can, are uh, inciting immediate unlawful um, action. So I get a bunch of people together and I say, you know, uh, I get them all worked up and I say, you know, let's go down town and torch the post office and we all get our, our, our you know incendiary devices and off we go uh that might be speech that can be uh, restricted as a conspiracy to damage public property or something like that but that too is very very narrow and so you know what we have uh, on, on college campuses now is you have administrators increasingly saying that in order to protect speech we must restrict speech and that means that we must not allow people to say things to have to, their speech should not have a content that makes other people feel uncomfortable or unsafe or you know and and, and that type of regulation of speech is uh, absolutely inconsistent with our uh, constitutional t- uh, traditions the supreme court Liberal justices, conservative justices have never allowed that type of thing and never should allow that type of thing because it's inconsistent with um, this broad guarantee of freedom of speech, which really is one of the things that makes the United States unique and great. So then using all of that, uh, were there other examples where the university, this um, uh, Northeast Wisconsin Technical College, where they have allowed people to hand out similar things that just didn't mention Jesus, where they really were targeting the content of her words? Well, you know, there certainly have been uh, instances where they've allowed speech activities to take place outside of the zone. Uh, uh, You know, there was, um, uh, and some of it might be thought to have religious connotations. They had a um, uh, a jihab, uh, you know, a scarf wrapping uh, uh, contact uh, lessons that were held at one point, but and, and the, the guard did tell her that somebody might regard her Valentine's as offensive. Um, I, you know, in this case of NWTC, it's more. I think that NWTC simply just doesn't want any speech activities to break out um, all over its campus. Um, but uh, you are pointing out, I think, one of the big problems with these anti-speech policies on campus is they generally are not uh, uniformly or even handedly applied. And so speech that um, is uh, more likely to be acceptable to the administrators or acceptable to the majority sentiment on campus is more likely to be allowed to go while other speech, and it's often conservative speech, um, you, know, you may know about the case we won for uh, Dr. McGadam at Marquette University earlier this year when he was fired for, uh, you know, attempted to fire for, for blog, uh, posting a blog. Uh, you know, it tends to be unpopular speech, which on campus is often conservative speech, which gets suppressed. So what's the status of the case? Well, we just filed it. 
and uh, you know what what happens now is you, you know uh, with litigation it tends to go uh, sort of slow. Uh, if the university decides that it wants to defend this unconstitutional policy, then I suspect what will happen is the judge will enter a scheduling order. Uh, the parties at some point will file motions to because I don't think there's any dispute about what actually happened. We'll file motions that ask the judge to apply the law uh, to the facts of this case and uh, uh, declare, uh, we hope, declare this uh, free speech zone policy unconstitutional, which we think will not only vindicate the rights of students at this small technical college in Green Bay, Wisconsin, but I think we'll also send a message, um, which we need to keep sending, across the country that, you know, uh, college is a place where you debate ideas, you don't silence them. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for what you're doing, Rick. Keep us uh, posted on the outcome of this, and good luck, okay? We'll, we'll, we'll do that. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks so much for coming on and telling your story. We'll post uh, links to um, Will's um, uh, website, uh, will-law.org, will-law.org, if you want to find out more about this. Hey there, it's Doc Thompson. I want to tell you about another show that I think you're going to like. It's called The News and Why It Matters. It's a group of us talking about news stories that we think are important and why those stories matter to you. The News and Why It Matters. Look for it wherever you download your favorite podcast. If you hear yourself saying, feels pretty good to see somebody rub their nose in it, you may be addicted to outrage. We've expressed our outrage at everyone and everything that is different. Every thumbs up is like a dopamine surge and every retweet is a serotonin hit. In my new book, Addicted to Outrage, we bring clarity to this addiction. If enough of us can just drop our anger and outrage, we might just stand a chance to heal ourselves. Addicted to Outrage by Glenn Beck. Pre-order now at glennbeck.com slash addicted to outrage. Knowledge is power. Tweet at us with the hashtag what I learned today. This is the Morning Blaze with Doc Thompson on the Blaze Radio Network.